Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with Vinci Choi, who is a registered dietitian and our colleague from Calgary in Canada. So Vinci and I chat about lots of different things, as would be per usual for the Mindful Dietitian podcast. And specifically, what we'll be diving down into is Vinci's kind of previous work life, if we could call it that, in a very weight-centric kind of model. So Vinci used to work in a bariatric clinic and uh, now she works in very much a health at every size paradigm. So I have found it so fascinating to be speaking with folks like Vinci and the kind of transitions that they have made and the uh, discoveries and growth and learnings they've had along the way because I think it's just really interesting for those of us who have worked in this model for quite a length of time. Um, For me, it really encourages me to just remain open-minded, open-hearted and take a really compassionate stance towards everybody regardless of where we are along our path to understanding non-diet and health at every size models because you know what, it can be really tricky. Uh, So here we talk a lot about not only that transition but also acknowledging our privileges and quote-unquote bringing bringing ourselves into the room with clients and specifically why collaboration between health at every size practitioners and quote-unquote obesity prevention practitioners seems to be so tricky. So I want to tell you a little bit about Vinci who is a non-diet dietitian. She's also a certified intuitive eating counsellor and Hayes advocate. Within her private practice, Vinci takes very much a collaborative and compassionate approach to support and guide her clients to find freedom in their relationships with food and body. So Vinci has some new and exciting challenges ahead uh, when she when she'll be um, opening up more of a gastrointestinal aspect to her work uh, within uh, an outpatient chronic disease management program. So one thing that you may or may not know about Vinci is that she was born in Hong Kong and then raised in Calgary, Canada. Uh, So I I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Vinci is such a generous, warm and inspiring and passionate dietitian. And I really, uh, well, as all my guests, you know, learn so much from Vinci. So uh, if you have not joined us yet on the Facebook group, please do so. We are the Mindful Dietitian. You can join us for some uh, fun and feisty conversation, which always seems to pop up, particularly towards the end of a week. Um, as uh, As our energy seems to dip, so does perhaps our sense of humor seems to rise. So please join us there for some for some fun and very interesting discussions. It's a great place just to get some support when you're working in a non-diet um, and a health at every size paradigm. The uh, main website is www themindfuldietitian.com.au where you'll find lots of, well, hopefully useful kinds of uh, resources and downloadables and uh, all these podcast episodes so you can go back and listen to any that you've missed Uh, and you can take a look at any uh, upcoming conferences, workshops, trainings, webinars and all kinds of things not only that I have developed myself but also that other mindful dietitians have contributed as well. Uh, You know, I'm very passionate about uh, supporting collaborations and supporting other incredible non-diet dietitians and those who are specialists in in body image, eating disorders um, and all kinds of different backgrounds working from a health at every size approach to uh, come together and and make a, a really positive and passionate contribution to our profession and to our communities. So I hope you love this episode with uh, myself and Vinci Choi. Thanks for being here. 
Good morning or good afternoon, Vinci. It's so wonderful to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me, Fee. You're welcome. I can't wait to dive into this conversation because you and I have, uh, I guess, crossed paths for a couple of years now. And over that time, both of us have, you know, woven in and out of various um, uh, various adventures, I suppose. And, and we were so lucky to meet in New York late last year at, um, at the Body Image Workshop. Um, so... Tell us a little bit about you as a dietitian, what you're up to now, and then, um, you know, we might um, rewind a little. What do you think? Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I guess to start a little bit uh, with a little bit of what I'm doing now. So um, I'm from Calgary in Canada, and I'm a dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. So I have a private practice where I specialize in helping people with disordered eating, chronic dieting, some eating disorders, but I do find it's more of the subclinical disordered eating that I see. And um, on top of that, I also have a I call it my day job. And so sort of an interesting thing that's coming up. I mean, by the time that uh, this podcast is going to be out, part of my position, they're moving into a GI clinic. So I will be starting to see GI patients one and a half days a week. So yeah, oh, so that's a very exciting change that's coming up for me. Yeah. Is that a, is that a, has that been an interest of yours, gut health? Um, I would say not necessarily, but I think with this work with um, disordered eating, I've become interested in sort of the intersection between um, mental health concerns, eating disorders, and gut issues. And I think that's going to be a very interesting approach to bring to this clinic, but because I get the impression that there are a lot of doctors out there who are still prescribing like low FODMAP for everyone. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Low FODMAP for you and you and you and you and you, basically. Yeah. Yeah, everybody gets a low fun map. <laughs> mm, yeah, and it, and it is really interesting because, um, you know, uh, so in Melbourne, where I'm from, is arguably one of the epicenters for FODMAP research. And um, it's been a really interesting observation over time to be privy, well, not so much privy, but um, to be exposed to some of the very early research and some of the thinking behind the very, very early research by you know, people like Sue Shepherd and um, people like that. And then to see how the research has really evolved. Um, and at first it was very much seen as, you know, fringe work and a bit, um, even a bit woo-woo in lots of ways, you know, certainly, mm -hmm. um, certainly not um, what we would now regard as evidence-based, not at all. And, you know, there was a whole bunch of people who worked so hard in those early days to really establish um, you know, FODMAP or FODMAPs as a as a viable um, option for people. And certainly, I'm not sure what you've noticed, but it feels as though it's gone through that stage of being, yes, for you and you and you. And now it feels like we need to be way more discerning. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't know. Have you noticed that too? Um, I've definitely felt that like I think more amongst dietitians. Mm. Um, I, I think though maybe amongst some other health professionals, 
um, that it's still in that, oh, FODMAP fixes everything kind of phase. And what's interesting too was actually a few years ago, I was part of a group of dietitians who um, were trying to review the evidence for the low FODMAP diet and actually have like a review article published. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like kind of really deep in that research for, for two years and um, became familiar with it. The interesting thing about that group though was I found that like some of the members were very biased against the low FODMAP diet so um and yeah I don't think we we only ended up getting like a comment published not like a full article but um yeah like the research continues and it keeps evolving um but I don't think it's that like panacea that some people think it is yeah, no, especially as you mentioned, you know, when it comes to the complexity of folks' life experiences and even epigenetics and um, and disordered eating and mental health and, and you know, once you put that in a big pot, a big stew pot, it, it is not as simple as, you know, let's throw this particular way of eating at someone, you know, it, it's just not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think there are also so many misunderstandings of the low FODMAP diet. Like, um, I recently saw someone who kind of just self prescribed the low FODMAP diet and then was, um, and then, you know, had sort of been following it for three years. <laughs> so, oh, wow. uh, yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think sometimes the concern with, um, something like the low FODMAP diet or any other, um, therapeutic diet where there is evidence is that it kind of gets flipped into you know more of that like diet culture kind of diets and and it can become problematic in that way oh my gosh you make such a good point and this actually follows directly on from from the last podcast with Anna Sweeney when she spoke about therapeutic diets and you are so spot on when when we have some good evidence for Mm -hmm. certain ways of eating for certain people in certain situations (laughs) um, and how it then becomes part of diet culture itself. Yes, you make such a good point. My gosh. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of those – I find it fascinating how – as humans and even as health professionals, I think, you know, we, of course, we, we're coming from a place of wanting to um, support people to feel comfortable in their bodies and with gut health in particular, feeling uncomfortable can be so life interrupting, can't it? You know, it's just, it's, it can be, it can make life extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was actually, um, I, I was listening to um, the Food Psych podcast, just some, like kind of going through some old episodes. And this came up with the one, I think with Alan Levinovitz. Um, he's like a religious oh. studies scholar and, and yep. he wrote The Gluten Lie. But he was just, but, you know, him and Christy were talking about, um, you know, when people when you know we see our clients in discomfort as clinicians we also have this discomfort that you know oh my gosh like my client is so uncomfortable like i need to find something to fix them yes. um and so i i think sometimes too like um it's you know it makes sense that we would get kind of sucked into that 
wanting to find a solution for someone or wanting to fix someone. Um, so yeah, so yeah, like discomfort for the client, but often it can translate to discomfort for us as practitioners as well. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. And I think when we can be, um, you know, mindful or j just simply aware of how that arises for us, um, you know, when we see somebody who is, um, who, who's really maybe even in a bit of a panic and has got themselves into a bit of a pickle, um, you know, whether that's around mental health or physical health or, or the intersection of the two, that, um, you know, we, as you say, we can easily become entangled with mm -hmm. their, their stuff and, and being able to um, disentangle while still being, you know, really well engaged is, it's quite a skill and yeah. it's a skill that I think we're all still working on, right? So. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of finding that balance between like being compassionate um, and caring, but also not getting to the point where it, you know, where you're just kind of throwing things at them um, just to be helpful, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when, when it comes to diet culture is understanding that we're all in this soup together mm -hmm. and that being able to um, being able to observe what is ours, what is our clients and actually what is neither of ours, what belongs to neither of us and did and never did belong to either of us. What's been, you know, offered, handed to us even before we could consent to it. Um, you know, yeah. all the messages around our bodies and food and, oh my goodness, I feel like, so from such young ages now, kids are being exposed to even curriculums that are um, very embedded in diet culture, which frightens me as a, as a mum of young children. Well, they're six and eight now, but it frightens me a little bit, to be mm -hmm. honest, but I'm like, okay, I can hold that fear and still, you know, help them to navigate this. It's very tricky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Vinci, it would be remiss of me to not um, invite you, if it's okay with you, of course, um, to rewind a little because you have a really, really interesting um, career history um, and, and uh, is that a polite way to put it <laughs> um, yeah I guess so yeah. um tell us a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about it sure so um I get, I'm guessing what you're referring to is uh, my work in bariatric surgery. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of non-diet, health at every size dietitians, like I was not always non-diet and health at every size. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, I mean, so when I first started, I actually, as a dietitian, I like jumped around a bunch of places for a while. Like I was working at like a private primary care clinic for a while, and then I did acute care for a year and a half. Um, but I'd always wanted a private practice. And so, um, so this was a part-time position that came up at um, the bariatric clinic. And um, I was like, oh, great. Like it's, part-time so then I have more time to devote to trying to grow a private practice and that's really why I applied for it and I remember even in my cover letter I said something along the lines of like if you had told me that like um 
that as a dietitian, I would be working in obesity care, like I wouldn't have believed you or, or, or I said something along those lines, like I never saw myself as someone who worked with quote unquote, obesity or, or weight loss or weight management. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, I think in the cover letter too, I wrote like, but you know, I guess like, this is a problem or this is an epidemic or whatever it was. So, uh, so for just over five years, I was at, um, this bariatric clinic. So at first it started, um, uh, like it was a mix of kind of traditional, like non-surgical weight management, um, and bariatric surgery. And then the last, uh, two years that I was there, it became like a surgery only uh, clinic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, and so then it's like, well, how did you go from that to um, doing kind of the non-diet health at every size? And it was, um, it's real, partly it was because like listening to food psych. Um, So my husband and I, when we go on road trips, we used to put like just food podcasts on or whatever podcasts on. So I was just searching like dietitian and podcast and that was the one that came up and, um, and yeah. And, and just kind of hearing the guests, hearing the guest stories. And then also uh, to kind of rewind a bit too in life. um, I would say that I think if you looked at the landscape of health professionals working in obesity care, a lot of people would believe that they are non-diet. And I, and that was kind of where I was at in the sense that for, to me at the time, like I thought, oh, like non-diet just meant, meant like non-fad diet. So it was like, well, yeah, like I don't tell people to cut out food groups. Um, I, yeah, I don't like encourage like extreme dieting. So, and I'm non-diet or, um, and I'm sure you've noticed as well is that there's a lot of co-opting of health at every size language. So, um, here in Canada, um, the Canadian obesity network. So, Years ago, um, Dr. Arya Sharma, who is like the scientific director, and then um, Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, who is a medical doctor um, who has like a weight management kind of clinic, they wrote a book called Best Weight. Um, and, and, you know, their definition of best weight is like the weight that you're at when you're, um, you know, like living the healthiest, like doing as living the healthiest life that you enjoy, or I don't remember the exact quote, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it it is really like co-opting of health at every size language. Um, And so, and so, and so that's why, um, and so I think in a way, that's kind of why the transition was sort of easy for me was because like, I was already thinking a lot of these things like, yeah, like, you know, for me, it wasn't about setting goal weights. And um, for I found it really frustrating when clients would come in and, you know, instead of talking about their health or that kind of thing, they were just like, oh, I hit a weight plateau or um, why am I not losing as much weight as this other person who's in the program? Um, and I just found it really distressing, like, oh my gosh, like, um, you know, I mean, short term for some people who have the surgery, they do see health benefits, right? Like um, they are taken off medications. Um, You know, they like a lot of people have improved mobility or 
and and some don't as well, but it was like the focus for the patients was rarely ever on those things. It was always on like, am I losing weight fast enough? How come I'm not losing more weight? And I found that really distressing, even when I was like working in a weight centric paradigm. Um, but really kind of when it kind of pushed over to the edge was, um, you know, listening to like food psych and the guests talking about body positivity. And I was like, wait a minute, like, it, is it, can you be body positive and still want to lose weight? And I remember, um, I like, threw that question out there on some like dietitian Facebook groups and everyone was like, yes, 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 yes. And I was like, really? Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause it was a lot of like, Oh, of course you can love your body and still want to change it. But I was like, well, um, or, or I think someone had to still want to improve it. And I was like, well, is weight loss really improving? Like, mm-hmm. um, oh, or, yeah. Yep. Or yeah, just, and then, and then there were finally like a few people who were kind of like, well, actually no. And like would link me to like the love food podcast or actually, um, Rebecca Scritchfield, um, her and Leslie Schilling were at like fancy or something. And they did like a whole like Facebook live, like answering that question. And I was like, oh, that was me. They're answering my question. Well, I don't know if they really were, but I just. I'm going to pretend that that was my question. Oh, it was all about you, Vinci. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I think that's kind of how I got into the world of health at every size was just kind of like um, seeing, yeah, just kind of seeing the light in a sense and, and being a, like unable to kind of unsee some of like the harm that I was doing in that work. And, you know, another kind of patient experience that really sticks out for me was, um, so in our program, we discharged people at one year post-op because of capacity, but you can, I'm sure you can imagine how much of a disaster that is because like most of like the issues happen after that first year, the first year is really the honeymoon period. And, um, and I remember this one person, she was, she was at her like 12 month appointment and, um, she said she was starting to have panic attacks, like, um, in the shower because, you know, she'd be showering and it would feel like that it wasn't her body. And then she would have panic attacks. Um, and like, this is something that bears out in the literature that when people have bariatric surgery, yes, like some markers of physical health do improve, Mm -hmm. but mental health either stays the same or gets worse. And so how can we say that bariatric surgery is health promoting if like, you know, there is a potential for worsening mental health. And so that was kind of another thing too, that got me to be like, hmm, okay, like what's going on here? Yeah. So it feels as though there was a a kind of a slow burn of discovering or uncovering kind of what you thought you knew, but you were discovering in more detail or, or the nuance of what you Mm -hmm. And then you used the word also, unseeing or unlearning and I think that I re- I really have come to really like that word because it creates a compassionate space around all the information um, and experiences that we have absorbed not only in our personal lives but also through our training and through our professional experiences which can often um, it can often block us from seeing 
our experiences and, and seeing our client and patient experiences just as they are. Um, so I really like the idea of, you know, that we're that we're learning and seeing but we're also unlearning and unseeing and how we can we can actually do both of those things simultaneously but they're not two birds flying in the opposite direction they're actually both um they're both active stages of discovering and exploring and and being really in some ways i think i was going to say mindful but i think sometimes it requires vigilance that we that we need to be um, really on top of how um, how steeped in diet culture we can be as professionals um, you know particularly when we've um, you know had that training background or, or we or we um, uncover uncover the uncomfortable reality of maybe our own weight biases mm -hmm. So that's, um, yeah, that's the process of unseeing, unlearning, and then seeing and learning. Goodness. So yeah. you mentioned that, you know, um, podcasts were really kind of formative for you. Um, and what were the other kind of steps? And what were the other steps that you, you feel like were, were really um, formative in kind of making this trans I guess it's a transition I suppose you would say um, mm -hmm. from being you know really weight centric or, or working very actively in a weight centric model to then to then saying to then closing that door and saying that's mm -hmm. enough mm -hmm. yeah um, I think um, joining a lot of like non-diet Facebook groups and observing the conversations that were there um, that has been huge for me. Another one, oddly enough, I, it's funny because I like don't give her enough credit in this journey, but um, my friend Casey Berglund, she is oh, yeah. a non-diet dietitian and, um, and yoga teacher here in Calgary. Um, and so uh, kind of early on in that journey, she did like a yoga for nutrition professionals course and um and in person which and I just kind of signed up like being like oh well like Casey's my friend and I like yoga so I'm just there to support my friend and enjoy yoga and so the way that she structured that um structured her the the course was each week we it was centered on a different chakra and the meaning behind the chakra and so when she got to the throat chakra talking about truth um it like really resonated with me because sort of the mantra that she associated with that was um I speak my truth and I allow others to speak their truth and kind of hearing that mantra and like reflecting on it. I was like, whoa, like, um, you know, what is the truth of other people's bodies and like, what is my truth? And like, I think that really helped me kind of move more into health at every size as well. Just like thinking about truth. Um, yeah. So that was a huge part of it. Um, yeah. And then another person that I want to give a shout out to always shout outs for people. Yeah. <laughs> um, love is, a good shout out. Yeah. It's my friend Grace Wong, who was also a guest on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so it was funny because like, I think it must've been early on when I said, like when I kind of put it out there that I was 
you know, moving toward a non-diet approach that she was kind of like, hey, you know, like, um, I, you know, wanted to meet with you and talk more about it. And it's funny, because like, thinking back, I'm wondering if she was like, trying to like, feel me out to see if I was really like health at every size, or if I was just like paradigm straddling. Um, But uh, yeah, but but it like, worked out and I and I'm sure I was probably doing some paradigm straddling at the time but instead of just you know shutting me out like she's been really supportive and she's just someone with so much wisdom and so I'm doing supervision with her now and I am so grateful like she is so amazing and great (laughs) she is she is and one of the things I love about Grace is she has this um this way of being that is both compassionate and fierce at the same time you know she's Mm -hmm. she just she's a straight shooter but she does it with love and kindness you know she's I really really admire that about her communication style and um, yeah I think she's like she's a perfect supervisor for you Vinci seriously (laughs) I think she's a perfect supervisor for anyone (laughs) yes you know what that that is the truth that is the truth um yeah it's if I can, if it's okay for me to offer you this, Vinci, what I've noticed, uh, particularly over the last couple of years where you and I have crossed paths a lot more closely, what I really admire about you and the way that you have, that you have kind of conducted yourself, particularly around social media, is that you have this very curious, open-hearted attitude to what we are yet to know. Um, and I think I can't help but wonder whether that that um, trait within you has really allowed you to see things with some clarity. When things haven't felt right to you, you've been able to kind of press pause and say, you know, what is this? What is this feeling that's coming up for me? Um, is there something there or is it <laughs> indigestion? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> um, and I... I, I I have just really noticed that about you, that you have you have taken really consistent, confident steps in the direction that feels right for you. Um, yeah, in, in a very open, open-minded and open-hearted way. So I just really want to give you kudos for that because I think it takes a lot of courage to do that, to be honest. Well, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. I think one thing that um, I am very aware of is that I am someone with thin privilege. So um, I just feel like um, I have so much to learn. Like there's just so much that I don't know. And um, so I'm very aware of my privilege and like wanting to center um, voices of like people that are in fat bodies or people who just have voices that are different from my own. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree. And that's, um, it's one of the things about health at every size that really stands apart from other, from other paradigms or other ways of working with bodies is that it, you know, it has this such strong social justice underpinning to it that we can't and we mustn't really separate out from our work as professionals Um, Mm -hmm. so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that because you know when we when we try as we might we can't separate out um, social justice and issues of equity and oppression and power from our work or our existence as humans so Mm -hmm. curious to know what what you're thinking about that 
Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's something that I've been like really learning too, because like, and I don't know if your training was similar, if you had a very similar experience, but I think, you know, when in learning to like in training to be a dietitian or be a health professional, there is often like this idea that you're supposed to be this neutral third party, like don't bring yourself into it. Like, you know, like we're all about evidence-based practice and only practice from the evidence or, but you know, it's this idea that like, um, that we're supposed to be neutral and kind of not add ourselves into it. And so it's kind of like the more that I've been learning about haze and becoming a haze practitioner, it's like, well, you actually can't take yourself out of it or, um, or it's like when you bring yourself as a person into the room, that's what makes the experience a lot richer. Yes. And part of that therapeutic relationship is you as a person. And, you know, even thinking about um, the like my day job, um, like everyone is unionized and the position is always like, well, a dietitian is a dietitian is a dietitian a nurse is a nurse is a nurse right like and you know like and I just feel like it's so not helpful for people because I think each practitioner brings something unique to the practice and to just see that as a position to be filled it's really to the detriment of the clients and patients yeah yeah, that's, yeah, that's so true. And I really like your point around, you know, that we are human beings in a space, sharing a space with another human being and that our stuff will intersect because mm-hmm. we're humans. So when we can, I mean, what, the, the kind of, I guess the way I always talk about it with particularly other dietitians or health professionals is that when we can create awareness about what is ours, what is our clients or our patients, and then naturally how that intersects and then how we can mediate and moderate our own responses um, so that we are in service to the best interests of the person Mm -hmm. in front of us. So we're not serving ourselves, um, but you know, but that we're able to take care of ourselves, of course, but that we're not serving ourselves by um, being entwined with our own biases or um, by what we think we, quote unquote, should be doing as opposed to, you know, what the right thing or the ethical thing to do is um, and how we can just create emotional maturity, I guess, (laughs) around our own, you know, what's what belongs to us and the work that we need to do, particularly when, like you mentioned, you know, particularly when we experience a lot of privilege, particularly body privilege and what that means. It doesn't mean nothing, does it? It's not neutral. Mm -hmm. No, it's definitely not. No. Um, But I think it's for lots of people, it's uncomfortable to realize that it's not neutral. Bodies in a room together is never neutral. Um, when we are so steeped in a culture which ascribes meaning and value to bodies um, and that that matters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yeah. matters in the work that we do. Mm-hmm. So um, with that in mind, I am 
so envious that you are attending the ASDA conference in August. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am literally green over here with envy. Oh, <laughs> oh so many of my favorite people are going to be there and the sessions look amazing. Absolutely incredible. So for people that aren't aware, so the Association for Size Diversity and Health, who are the holders of the Health at Every Size registered trademark in the US, um, are holding their biannual conference uh, this August in Portland, Oregon. Um, so what are you most looking forward to about this particular conference? Oh, oh my gosh. Like, where to start? Think, <laughs> yeah, where do I start? Um, like this will be my first ASDA conference. So looking forward to that. And I've never been to Portland before. So looking forward to that. Um, I'm actually flying in a day earlier and flying out two days later. So I will have a bit of time to explore the city. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, just like um, getting to meet a lot of people in person and all the sessions sound really good. So like just looking forward to all of it really. Yeah, it was amazing. I was looking at the, I was, ah, oh, I felt like I was, you know, setting myself up when I was like, oh, maybe I'll look at the program. Oh, like bad idea <laughs> for somebody who's not going, you know. Uh. Um, but the sessions look really amazing and particularly the elevation of voices um, mm -hmm. of folks from marginalized communities looks mm -hmm just incredible um, you know yeah. and session after session after session of it too it's not a token session it is you know um, loads of sessions that are really really raising raising voices so that so that those with more privilege so that we can um, learn and, and do better mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah I'm really looking forward to it oh my goodness um so Vinci if it's okay I want to change tack a little because this is something that we we had we have had a discussion about this previously. Um, and I want to start with posing a question. Okay. And that is, what is it do you think about um, quote unquote collaborations between health at every size um, aligned professionals and what we might know as obesity Inc or, you know, obesity experts or whatever you want to, call that particular group of, of people. Um, why do you think it is that collaborations, as we might call them, are so hard? It feels like, oh, we should be talking. We should be sitting down together and discussing bodies. Mm -hmm. But it feels mm -hmm. so problematic. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that as somebody who has really, who, who is very, very familiar with both of these worlds, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, and kind of like I was saying before that like the um, a lot of obesity professionals like belief that they are non-diet um, like I can definitely see why they kind of feel like oh like why are the health at every size people not talking to us and I think it's almost like um, what's sort of happening is like they there's this feeling that they're like oh yeah like we've done the work like we don't believe in you know we agree that bmi is bullshit or um yeah we agree that like extreme diets are not the way or we agree with xyz or whatever and it's almost like well we've done all this work like how come 
you know, you are being so difficult as a, as a haze professional. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. It's so funny. Like, but, but I, I think that's kind of the attitude that's going into it right. when in reality, when you kind of look at um, the, the history and even the present really, um, when you, t- when we talk about, uh, you know, it, it, it's not for lack of trying. Um, I think like fat activists have been trying to engage the medical establishment for a long, long time. Um, but it always gets poo-pooed kind of like, you know, it's almost like, yes, we understand weight stigma is a concern, but you know, like obesity, like, you know, that's really the real concern that we need to tackle. Or, you know, it's like, you know, we need to tackle weight stigma and be nice to fat people so that they'll come into and so they'll get the treatment for their obesity. And so, and so, um, and I like just wrote a blog post on this. Um, (laughs) So kind of my, so it's, it's as long as, I mean, or like the way that I phrased it, and maybe I should have like pulled it up and read it. So I'm more articulate. <laughs> That's <laughs> so I said, you, know, you can have all the high capacity chairs in the world and you can like, you know, debunk fad diets until you're blue in the face. But as long as we are defining a person's health based on their size or their weight or their fatness, as long as weight loss is seen as a good thing, even if it's just a quote unquote side benefit. And as long as there is this fear of weight gain, it's still upholding these systems that, um, that kind of idealize thinner bodies and marginalize larger bodies. And so you cannot eradicate weight stigma when you're upholding those systems that support weight stigma. You can't do both at the same time. And that's why like that collaboration can't happen because um, a lot like because yeah, like you are essentially trying to be like, I'm marginalizing you like as a fat person, how come you won't be nice to me? Right? Like, yeah. Oh, well, amen. Amen to, to all that. That was brilliant. And that, that was incredibly articulate. Um, and, and clearly it's fresh in your mind because you just wrote a blog and I hope it's okay. If I, can I link to the blog in the notes? Yeah, absolutely. Can go read it. Yeah. Cause that's, you articulated that beautifully. So, what we share in common is a desire for people's well-being mm-hmm. and a care for humans mm-hmm. and an acknowledgement that weight stigma is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, then where we become a little um, different, I guess, or divided or, you know, we sit on different uh, in different camps is then how we go about um, – helping or supporting folks to live in their bodies, like actually Mm -hmm. live as well as possible. Remembering that wellness and health, of course, are very privileged experiences Mm -hmm. Um, and they're actually quite rare experiences too. Full wellness and full health are actually very rare, really. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's because it's so like – 
it's not well defined like what yeah. does full health and what does full wellness mean like they're going to mean different things for different people yeah that's so true and, and also when you were talking then it made me think geez it is so nebulous and while it remains nebulous it remains desirable right because mm -hmm. if we can't nail something down it becomes something that we should quote-unquote be pursuing or should mm -hmm. be attaining um mm -hmm. whereas if it was well defined if it was better defined i should say then maybe it would be a little easier or more accessible for us to acknowledge that you know we're doing what we can and that full health or full wellness is a rare <laughs> a rare experience for most humans mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's um it's perplexing it's perplexing I, I love what you said around you know um, why aren't you being nice to us we've done the work mm -hmm. um, you know that's definitely the feeling I get I, I want to share with you one thing um, that I observed at the striped symposium which was absolutely incredible it was an eating disorders prevention symposium that was run in Boston by Bryn Austin and her um, and her team at the at, at um, Harvard Striped, and there was probably around maybe three hundred, maybe even four hundred. I'm not too sure. Um, people from all different backgrounds, including very hazel-eyed folks, and and those less so, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really interesting during question time. A, a gentleman got up who who. Um, is a, an obesity researcher and he got up and he said you know we we the, the royal we as in him and his colleagues we understand that dieting doesn't work and pursuing weight loss you know harms people like we get this so that's why we're focusing on obesity prevention <laughs> and there was just this pause in the room it's like dude dude yeah. you're yeah. you're doing it again like this was also at the end of the day where he had heard incredible speakers like lisa debril um and, and and other other um eating disorder specialists who were really throwing it all on the line in terms of what we need to really understand to um to support folks who are most at risk of um, disordered eating and um and disordered relationships or, or disconnected relationships with our bodies so I, I just sat there and i was like um yeah no and the thing is here was somebody who had a lot of funding at his disposal a lot of body privilege highly intelligent highly intelligent and appeared to me to be a very kind person actually um and i was like Oh, I felt like crying. I was like, oh my gosh, you're so close, but yet so far away. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I and I get that feeling too. Like it's, um, you know, kind of going back to that idea of like, you know, I've done the work. How come you're not nice to me? Like um, one thing that I'm starting to see is like a lot of yeah, like other health professionals um, using non-diet language or, um, yeah, kind of that same stuff. Like, yeah, I agree that weight loss doesn't work or whatever, um, but they're not necessarily, and, you know, they could be 
writing a piece or, or even sharing something on social media that would be like very relevant to like the stuff that I do, but I'm so um, hesitant to share it with my followers because like, to me, it's like you, you can't, like, I don't think you can be health at every size or non-diet without saying that you are because kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about this being a social justice movement um yeah like how can you fight for social justice without naming the oppression that you're trying to fight and so even though um yeah like we might be agreeing on certain points it makes me like nervous to share some of that work with people because like because you don't know, like, do they really care about the non-diet approach or are they, are they really just co-opting the language? Yeah. I I think, um, you know, it's become a, it, there are aspects of non-diet approaches which have become very sanitized um, Mm -hmm. and very quote unquote clean. And I don't mean that as in clean eating. I mean, (laughs) as in, you know, we, you want to take the nice bits without the tough bits. Yeah. Um, so, you know, things like mindful eating. I love mindful eating. I'm a mindful eating specialist. I could talk about it forever. Um, mm-hmm. But you can also co-opt mindful eating um, and you can also make it really, really um, sanitized. You can sanitize it so much, which ignores the tough nature of actually connecting with our experience. It is really hard to acknowledge Mm -hmm. when we are in pain and when we are suffering and when we um, are just finding experiences really hard in our bodies and with food. Um, And so I think what you, what I'm hearing you really speak to there is the sanitizing of it um, and, and turning it into something that is palatable to us Mm -hmm. and and maybe palatable to our audience as well, Mm -hmm. maybe palatable to our clients and, I don't know, I guess this is an invitation for people to step up and, and, and get in the mess a little bit. Um, Cause if we're not doing that, I think it's really, we're kind of not having the whole meal. We're kind of finishing mm-hmm. three quarters of the way through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, like, to be fair, like, yes, that is a way to like, that is a great way to like bring people in and introduce people to mm-hmm. these concepts. But I think, one of the themes that's really showing up for me now is that I, I think what's happening is that like people kind of get that sanitized palatable stuff and they, and that's where their work ends. Um, And when it's like, well, like great that, that you're, you know, being introduced to this in this way, but um, it's barely scratching the surface of like what this is really about and the work that, needs to be done yeah that's so true and the one of the ways that I see it turn up particularly on social media is when folks are like why like why are we being, why are we talking to each other like this it can't be all just be nice and it's like oh no that's the sanitized version we can be yeah. we can be quote unquote nice if we're sanitizing it but if we're getting messy then let's get messy and let's mm-hmm. call stuff for what it is <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one way maybe we can notice it on social media is where we're trying so hard to be nice that we're not willing to be messy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and that's something that's been that's come up with um, the therapists that I'm working with as well. They do a lot of um, social justice work and um, and yeah, just talking about restraint and how that shows up, um, you know, and it's like, how can we like or like why do we feel the need to restrain ourselves or how can we still stay engaged in the work that we do while still restraining if that makes any sense it does yeah it really does because i mean even the word restraint it's a holding back isn't it mm-hmm. mm. it's, it's not holding back with kind of boundaries like smart boundaries it feels like an active sense of holding oneself in. Mm-hmm. That's what that word kind of speaks to me. I'm a, I'm such a language geek. Yeah. Um, as you know, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there, and language matters. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, the words that we use, they really mm-hmm. matter and, and to be using words thoughtfully, but without, censoring ourselves I suppose I suppose Mm -hmm. um, you know Mm -hmm. one thing that we can be just aware of yeah and I think that's another hard part of it too because I think being able to be articulate and thoughtful with our words that's a privilege Um, and so how many voices are being silenced just because they are not considered articulate and thoughtful yes Um, mm mm-hmm that is so true. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's so true. And how we can, how much we can really learn from, from folks who might not be speaking the loudest or who might not be writing the, the, with the most clarity, but mm-hmm. whose experiences really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Because again, it's palatable, isn't it? Yeah. To be yeah. reading and hearing things that are expressed in a way that makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Vinci, uh, <laughs> we could talk for hours and actually we have in the past, we have talked for hours. So this comes <laughs> as no surprise to me. And in the future, um, beyond Asda, oh, I really look forward to speaking with you um, for hours again. So I yeah. my- well, you should like come back to your old stomping grounds. Like, I don't think it's well known. <laughs> that you used to live in Banff, which is like just outside where I am. So you should come exactly. here. Exactly. Yes. You, you have, um, outed, it's no secret by the way, um, you have <laughs> outed my mid twenties, um, dietetic dilemmas. So I, I lived in Canada. Um, I lived in Canada. I, I'd spent two years working in clinical practice in the UK. Ugh hated it oh my god i hated it so much <laughs> it was awful i earned really good money and traveled around europe which was so great so yes i'm grateful for that but oh my god the work was just it mm-hmm. just wasn't it didn't suit me at all um mm-hmm. but you know no surprise there um and then i was like right that's it i hate dietetics i'm an awful dietitian i'm moving to canada so i did and um and ended up working yeah as an outdoor education teacher just outside banff so I loved that work so much. Mm-hmm. So I came home and I only got back into dietetics. So I, was, I was actually desperate to make more than, you know, 20 bucks an hour. <laughs> um, and then ended up in a weight management service. And that's how I discovered non-diet because I was yeah. like, oh, there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And I, and I think like that is so helpful for people to know that like, I think the vast majority of dietitians and clinicians doing this work, like started in some sort of weight centric model, because like for most of us, that's what our education is like. That's obviously what our world is like. Um, so like, yeah, don't feel bad if you, um, didn't start out health at every size like right away because that is actually very rare and again I think oftentimes without that experience like for me like working in bariatric surgery like I don't know if I would have um, become a health at every size practitioner because like larger bodies wouldn't have been like a normalized experience for me the way that it was like working at that clinic um, so, so yeah, so don't feel like you have to have a certain experience in order to be doing this work. No, and, and in fact, for people like you and I, we had the enormous privilege of having conversations with people who have had complicated relationships with food and eating and their bodies for long mm -hmm. periods of time. And there is really nothing that can replace um, that experience, like that, mm -hmm. that deep listening of when somebody um, is sharing, you know, is willing yeah. to share their experience with us. Yeah, definitely not something that you can read in a scientific journal. Uh, no, <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. And not something you can do in a role play either. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, mm -hmm. It becomes very, very real. Um, so, yes, uh, you know, not, not wishing uh, a tough journey on anybody, but just, you know, remembering that each person we meet provides possibly an opportunity to learn a little bit more about ourselves mm -hmm. and how we can be be better and do better mm -hmm. as as humans in this world. yeah yeah <laughs> ah. uh, Vinci thank you thank you thank you so so much I'm just incredibly appreciative of your willingness to to be with be here today it's been so amazing chatting with you and um, I can't wait to catch up with you again sometime soon yeah, this was an amazing experience. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Like I've listened to, I think every episode. So um, I'm a huge fan and it's cool to be on a podcast that I personally enjoy. Oh, that's awesome. And now you can listen to your own episode, which won't be awkward at all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, your husband can hear you. That would be awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sure he likes hearing my voice all the time. All the time. Exactly. Oh, Vinci, have a terrific rest of your day and I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.